and partly cloudy. For WPFW in Washington and WBAI New York, I'm Chris Banger Drowns. Thanks for listening. The time now is 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz Marston. That is coming up. Stay tuned. Welcome back to WBAI. This is Driving Forces, your weekly show that dives into the issues dominating discussion in our city, our state, and our country. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I am joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we are glad to be on with you on our first show after the big show in our nation's capital. Good evening, Jeff. Great to be here with you. So we didn't watch it together, Celeste. Normally, we'd have some time together to sit in a cafe below, you know, below the studio and chat for some time. I'm curious about your impressions. What were some of the takeaways? What stood out for you as you watched the inauguration yesterday? I thought it was sort of very traditional, not boring, but very traditional. And I think that traditional generally is what this country needed, what I needed right now. And so I think I got out of the inauguration exactly what I was hoping to get. What was interesting was how normal it seemed. Other than the fact that when you looked at the National Mall and you saw instead of a crowd of people, you saw a field of flags where normally thousands of people would have been. Otherwise, a lot, you know, a lot of it was just normal, what we want from an inauguration. Yeah, you know what, to tell you the truth, from a personal standpoint, I covered the last three inaugurations in person. I covered both Obama inaugurations and I covered the Trump inauguration uh, right from the uh, from the Capitol complex, uh, from the National Mall. I was in there mingling with crowds of people. And there really is something very valuable and very precious and very right about being there with all these Americans who want to be witness to one of our greatest traditions, which is the peaceful transfer of power, the taking of a very solemn oath by our new president and our new vice president. Um, But in a way, I think that considering everything that happened just a couple of weeks ago, really not that long ago at all, I think that the way things were handled, we got the job done. The business of the country was continued. Uh, Things happened safely, uh, securely, uh, thanks to probably to the thousands and thousands of people who were on duty uh, keeping the environment uh, low key and safe. Um, And we did get to see a little bit of the pageantry. We did get to see uh, the new president and vice president walking uh, to their uh, their new workplace on Pennsylvania Avenue. We did get to see some of the uh, uh, marching bands obviously from the alma maters of uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. Um, it, it is a little bit painful to think that we've come to a point in our country where things had to be so locked down and so sort of regimented. But at the same time, mainly, I am, again, really glad that we got the business of the day accomplished without any major disruptions. Yeah. And what I uh, enjoyed seeing was that we had three former presidents there from both parties, Barack Obama, George Bush and Bill Clinton uh, on hand. And then they joined uh, our new president, Joe Biden, for placing a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknowns at Arlington National Ceremony. Uh, I did also do want to report to our listeners what I had read, that Jimmy Carter, who is nearing 100, he's 96, was not able to attend, but he had reached out and spoken with our new president uh, earlier. Uh, what's also, for me, one of the standout moments, I watched. I was watching CNN last night, and they were just raving about her after Anderson Cooper had spoken with her, but was the 22-year-old poet, Amanda Gorman. It was just such a moving speech, a, a poem. Uh, I, I'm curious what you thought of that. 
Yeah, really, really compelling presentation. This is obviously a woman who has great presence, a young woman who has a great presence, who has a great talent. And, you know, I think that her message in particular was very right for the moment. And I think that it sort of echoed some of the themes that uh, President Biden was trying to present to the country, which is that this is not necessarily a time to look backward, a time to be angry, a time to point fingers, but a time to look for unity, to look for a fresh beginning and to remember what the goal is and, and not to focus so much on the, um, the anxieties, the indignities of the past, that we can respect our history while writing a positive new chapter in it. And I, I thought she was just eloquent in doing that. And there was this beautiful line she said that we, you know, that we're a nation that isn't broken, but unfinished. There was just such a uh, such beauty in in her words. Now, today, uh, for our listeners, so you know, we are going to have two guests today, but then kind of break it up. We're shaking things up this year. We'll have opportunities in the middle of the show and near the end of the show for you to be able to call in. But uh, the thing that, you know, that I'm sure Celeste will want to talk about more as well is it's not just about the inauguration, but about everything else that's going on in our country right now and about the priorities of this new administration. Absolutely. And and one of the things, and we are going to get into this a little bit later in the program, but obviously some of the uh, very, very first actions uh, uh, President Biden has taken uh, in his, as he launches his new administration, is to address the continuing problem of the coronavirus and how we are going to protect ourselves. How are we going to be vaccinated? How are we going to, to stop the spread? Uh, how are we going to care for people who have been damaged or harmed? either physically, economically, educationally. There's a lot going on there. So before we go on with the program, do want to give you the number. We will want to hear from you on all of these issues, whether it be the new president, whether it be uh, issues in our city or in our state. That number, again, is 212-209-2877. So just take that one down. Have it with you when we uh, get ready to open up the lines. 212 212- 209-2877 will be the number to call. And we'll want to know what you thought, not only about yesterday's inauguration, but we know our listeners would like to weigh in consistently on uh, the vaccination process. There's a poll that had come out, which is interesting. Uh, I'll bring it up right now. And we're, as we waited for our first guest to call, I just got to get a light over here so I could read it in my room, which was that many New Yorkers, according to this poll, Celeste, Many mm-hmm. New Yorkers, a quarter of New York state residents, do not plan to get vaccinated against the coronavirus. That's according to a poll that came out earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll be able to talk about that. Now, I know we have our first guest on the line, so we're going to get right to him, and then we'll come back and take your calls right afterwards. Uh, our first guest today, extremely happy to have him back on WBAI, New York City Public Advocate Jumani Williams. Previously, he served on the New York City Council representing the 45th District where he championed landmark legislation that transformed policing in the city. And he sponsored the Community Safety Act, uh, which reformed the city's police department by ending the abuse of stop, question, and frisk in communities of color and creating the NYPD's Office of Inspector General to investigate unlawful and unethical behavior. Throughout his career, he has led the fight for better policing and safer streets, affordable housing, and transparency and accountability in city government. And he continues to be an activist elected official who brings the voices of everyday New Yorkers to city government. It is a pleasure to welcome you back to WBAI, public advocate. Pleasure to be here. Peace and blessings to you. I want to start off by quoting you. Your words this week in recognition of Martin Luther King Day. I'm just going to quote you and then come back to you and ask for your thoughts to expand on that. You had said that the commemoration of Reverend Dr. King's life, legacy, and message has rarely come at a moment more palpably in need of it. And today, we see not only the two Americas, but the movements pulling it in two directions. The first is represented by the millions of people who marched for racial justice last summer, the second by the domestic terrorists who last week marched on Washington not to condemn white supremacy, but to uphold it. So with that in mind, Talk about what went through your mind as you watched yesterday's inauguration. You know, it's um, it's a time that everybody could take a second to breathe. I think we've 
folks have been collectively holding their breath for four years. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it just it was, it was a time, okay, okay, we could breathe. And it's time that I can say, okay, regardless of what I think, the, at minimum, what is positive about this country is that the institutions that allow us to get a dictator want to be out of office held. It held against all of that try to do it held against a violent insurrection. It held, and we're here now. Uh, but on the same token, remembering that we're basically now back to uh, normal levels of bigotry, and <laughs> like we're up to we're back to pre-2016 levels, which is still a problem. Um, but we all have to just be clear uh, that at least we're we're back to those levels, and not the heightened, led by the bigger white supremacist liar in chief. And that there's a, there's a marked difference there in opportunity. Well, that's uh, not putting too fine a point on it, public advocate. You are uh, somebody that we have known for quite a long time to be somebody who speaks his mind. I'm curious to know, it's not fair to put everything on the new vice president, obviously, although certainly this is a watershed moment for us in the United States. The first female vice president, the first vice president uh, of uh, black heritage and uh, and of Asian American heritage. Um, you know, but as I say, it's not it, just having her there, having her official portrait uh, on the website is, is not going to be enough. I mean, what do you think is going to be the practical effect of having Vice President Harris uh, out in public in this administration as the face of the United States for uh, for ourselves and abroad? What kind of difference is that going to make? You know, one, I thought um, that the Poet Laureate was the best part of the, the whole thing. Like, that, was, that was amazing. Uh, so I want to make sure we shout her out. Uh, but two, I never want to downplay the importance and the significance of seeing yourself in spaces. So I have a 12-year-old stepdaughter who's black. It's important that uh, she sees herself there. What Kamala Harris means to South Asian women, you can't take that away. At the same time, as you pointed out, you know, that's just not enough. And so I always look to... There are places and spaces across this country where you've had Democrats in charge, where you've had black people in charge, where you've had uh, black and brown folks in charge, and the things didn't change that needed to change. And what so often happens is people fall into the same kind of political machinery <clears throat> that the people before them led into. So it's quite clear what Republicans did and why they did it. But I can't sit here and say that I don't know that Democrats might have done the same thing, the same calculations. Okay, what's good for my job and my reelection, as opposed to what's good for the country? So we can't elect people and then walk away. We kind of did that with Barack Obama. We thought, okay, we elected the first black president. It's all good. We can't walk away. We have to keep the pressure on and really force elected officials to do the courageous thing. Uh, so in and of itself, we have to put it in its place, and it's important. I don't want to downplay the importance of it for black women, for South Asian women, for women in general. And then we have to move on to say, okay, what do we have to do to make sure the things uh, that communities care about get done? And public advocate Jamani Williams, uh, and if you're just joining us, this is WBAI's Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We are speaking to the public advocate today. So public advocate, you know, you've been in public life for quite a while, um, you know, in uh, politics, in elections and so on. You're certainly somebody that we've come to know is very reform-minded, but you've also, you know, come up against the, the realities and the sort of the sluggishness of how government works, how the sausage gets made. You know, what What are some of your thoughts on how quickly uh, a President Biden and a Vice President Harris are going to be able to undo some of the things that uh, that have gone on, including some of the mentality, the mindset that we've seen during the Trump era? I mean, there's a lot that has to be done. Um, I am. I want to give credit, you know, the executive orders that have come down have, have um have uh, happened quickly, and I think they're helpful. We'll see how much further we're, we're going to go. I get concerned that sometimes we have collective amnesia about some of the traumas that we're experiencing. Um, but to the quote that was read, there is a some people are trying to provide a moral equation, like we use the word same and equal, and they're not they're not 
the same thing. So people will try to apply similar or same actions with the same moral weight. And so people will talk about what happened this summer and try to equate that morally to what happened in the Capitol building. One, they weren't even really the same actions. But two, even if they were, one is actually in the lineage of the best of this country trying to fight for civil rights. And the other one was for the worst of this country trying to maintain systems of white supremacy. Like that, that was clear there. And every time we go toward actually trying to be honest about that and um, trying to uh, uh, account and address that in a real way, we pull back. We just can't pull back. Now, we should move forward with the understanding uh, that there are a lot of people who are upset uh, where we are right now, and those people need to feed their families as well. Those people need to have their children do better uh, than they did. So we should take that into account. But we can't move back on the conversation because the more we move back on the conversation, the harder it is. We, we're probably the only country that has gone through this type of horrific trauma and still not readily admitting what it means to have gone through that trauma and putting real systems in place. The fact of the matter is we actually need a new system in place, right? So I keep saying we can't go back to normal because normal didn't work. But we do have elected officials in office that want to maintain that system. So even here in New York, and I kept saying, yes, the problem is Donald Trump, but locally it's not. I feel like we had the wrong executives on every level. And if one of those executives were different, I think the outcome locally would have been different. And we have to have people who have the, at least match the fear with courage to point that out and say, okay, we have to do this thing completely different because it's not, it's not working the way we say we want it to work. And public advocate, since you had mentioned even what is taking place uh, locally, what we see about with electeds that want to keep maintaining the system, I want to just segue into COVID-19. You've had concerns. A number of people have had concerns about the rollout of the vaccine. But just as far as even the city and state responses to address COVID-19, uh, and I know you had released uh, a document uh, back, I think it was in December, which offered a number of solutions and expressed what some of your concerns were. Did we reopen too fast? And where do we stand now? Do you, what are some of your lingering concerns about the city and state responses? You know, folks are going to look back at this time and we made, not only did we make remarkable mistakes, we, we made them twice and we just didn't learn. And it's, it's very hard to watch. Right now, though, we have to get the, ability to put these vaccines much better way than, than we did. And for me, I always my thing is always, okay, use the tools that you have. It is real that this president had, you know, warp speed was actually a warp tri trickle. No plans. But even with the vaccines that we did have, we botched it. We threw away vaccines. We had six months to plan this, and we didn't. We had... Uh, Agencies in the city that work, uh, websites are as um, accessible as possible, and we, we botch that. And so those things are the things that are inexcusable, and those have to do with our local leaders. And so what I'm hoping now is that our local leaders will bring some other people into the conversation uh, who have some ideas. We are now trying to get uh, data to show us demographically who has gotten these vaccines uh, because we want to make sure that the demographics are the people who are hardest hit primarily uh, with uh, coronavirus. And I, you know, I have to say the city made mistakes clearly, but here in the state, you know, the governor, it's hard to ask for all of the decision-making powers and then blame everybody else. Uh, and, you know, as much as I criticize the governor, I've always credited his ability to manage bureaucracy. Like, that's at the best sense of the word. Bureaucracy is, is a forte. And even here, the bureaucracy of diminishing vaccines just didn't happen. It's colossal failure upon colossal failure. And there, the saddest part is there was loss of life that would not have been lost if we had done better there. 
Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York. We're speaking to public advocate Jamani Williams. And public advocate, this is something that has come up on a bunch of our programs, but I, I specifically want to ask you about it too, since you just touched on uh, the disparate impact of COVID-19 and the coronavirus in uh, communities of color. Uh, we get callers uh, into this program regularly who, uh, and Jeff read some statistics earlier, some polling data, people who do not want the vaccine, regardless of whether it's available, they're afraid of the vaccine, they don't trust it, uh, they have uh, a variety of reasons, uh, you know, some of which you may uh, agree with, some of which you may not agree with. Uh, what is your message to people right now who are listening to this program or are thinking about this for their families? Um, should they get the vaccine? Why should they get the vaccine? Uh, should they be concerned? So, uh, you know, we should always come to communities, you know, with a sense of urgency that's deserved, but also a sense of empathy. And um, this work began to work well with the census when there were certain communities that are hard to count. Um, and it was, you know, they were nervous. And in those communities, they have a right to be nervous because when government knocks on the door, it's usually not a good thing. And so we have to provide the information with the empathy and cultural competency that that people uh, people need. There are segments of our community that have a right to be afraid because of what medicine and healthcare has done to them on a whole set of levels. So we have to take the time, and you have to employ folks like me who, I'll be honest, if I wasn't public advocate, uh, I would have similar concerns. I have to override my concerns with my duty as public advocate, and, and that's very important to me. So when my time comes up, I'm going to get the vaccine and try to remind folks that we have a tendency to look at the time frame we're in, and that's it. But if we were born earlier, you know, the measles and mumps and, and, and all polio and all of these things have been ravaging, ravaging communities. The only reason they're not ravaging communities now is because we got vaccines and the science is clear. And then also remind folks, they go to the doctor all the time. They go and get medicine. And when you get a me something from your doctor, it says your doctor has decided that any chances of adverse effects are uh, outweighed by the positive effects. People die from Tylenol in this country all the time. But the, the benefits of getting Tylenol far in a way supersedes um, not taking it. And collectively, any risk of getting a vaccine is far outweighed by us collectively getting it. And it's not just helpful for you personally who gets it. It's helpful for your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, uh, your neighbor. And so we have to get this information out in a culturally competent way, but in an empathetic way. Because if you miss the empathy, it's just going to push people away. So, Public Advocate, we only have a few minutes left. I do want to note uh, that you also are seeking election. You're up uh, this year in the June Democratic primary to fill your first full term as public advocate since the first election had been a special to carry out the remainder of Tish James's past term. Uh, you, what's interesting is I've watched candidates who have made it core to their campaigns about fighting for New York City. And, you know, given that we have a president or now a former president who's been harmful to New York. And I'm curious, though, as you look ahead towards your campaign over the next few months leading up to the primary, what will be the core issue or issues that you're going to focus on? What will be your priority? You know, it's very interesting uh, because, you know, I happen to be a member of the Democratic Party. But I know for a fact uh, all of our issues are not the Republican and Trump issues. So it's going to be interesting who's going to be the foil or the excuse for certain things not getting done. Like we have now a person who calls himself a Democrat in the governor's mansion, the state Senate, the state assembly. We have Democrats in the Congress and, and uh, the Senate and the House and the president and the mayor. So everybody's Democrats. So it's interesting to see what can get done and what can't get done. And, you know, I'm focused, and I think the whole uh, – city is focused on how we reopen. This is the best time to put in new structures and new policies in place as we come out of this that will make things better than where we were. Public safety is very, very important to me. Uh, too many people are focused on reforming police, and that's the wrong message. There is no amount of reforms of simple police that will solve this problem, so we have to stop just thinking so narrowly. We have to redefine and reimagine 
public safety and act on it and define what policing's role is in it and fund it appropriately, but fund all of the other things that make a community safe. And we haven't done that. And we have to have someone who can uh, have have the courage to have that conversation in a real way because it's very important as we see gun violence spiking. We see so many things spiking, as a matter of fact, homelessness, food scarcity, uh, suicide in the subways are spiking. Police can't solve all these problems, <clears throat> and we have to have someone who's going to be able to have this conversation and get us where we need to go, and I'm hoping uh, that as a public advocate, I can continue doing that. So maybe my last question, public advocate, considering what you just said about people who call themselves Democrats or people who are are acting along party lines or, or doing, uh, you know, uh, taking party positions, sort of what performatively, uh, can you envision a time or would you support a time in New York City where we actually move towards nonpartisan elections? Yes. Um, I believe that the, the, the two-party system is a hindrance um, to getting things done. And I also want to be clear, there is no perfect system. So there might be a time that, you know, we did nonpartisan for decades and it didn't work out. Maybe we have to switch back. I think there's always we always have to be open to new ideas and trying new ideas. And the fact that people are so stuck, and when, they, when you think of an, an, a new idea, you think the whole thing is going to crumble. It's just not true. You know, if our two, the De- Democratic Party has uh, has had the basis of power in this city and the state for a very long time, and we're here, so it hasn't worked even with the party that says it wants to change these things. And so we have to broaden this thing, open it up, because what, what tends to happen is people get in and then they, they figure out, okay, you to get where I need to go, I have to follow this path uh, along this party and in this structure. And we have to begin to elect more people that don't think like that, but we also have to put in a, a, a new system that allows people the freedom they need uh, to do the things they need to do for the masses uh, of people in this city and in the state, all of them. Yeah, as our job, you go to any part of this city. Uh, I, I represented a particularly diverse group of folks. I had Caribbean, I had Orthodox Jews, I had Christian Muslims, and everybody wanted the same thing. But there are barriers that are preventing it, and our job is to figure out what those barriers are and to do that in a way that our seats are not more important than the people we're representing. And that's hard to do in this two-party system that we have. Public Advocate Jamani Williams, where can people find out more about you and your work going ahead? Uh, if people want to go on the campaign side, uh, they can go to jamaniwilliams.com. Uh, on the government side, they can go to advocate.nyc.gov. Great. Public Advocate Jamani Williams, thanks for joining us today on WBAI's Driving Forces. Thank you. Can't wait to be back. Love and light to everybody. Thank you. So that was our conversation with Jumani Williams. He's the public advocate of the city of New York. Be interested to hear what you all thought about what he said. I just wanted to throw that one in at the end because that's always been something that has interested me. Could New York City ever get to a place where we no longer have a two-party system, not just a multi-party system, but non-partisan elections where people just run on the strength of their ideas or their platform or whatever it may be. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, Public Advocate Williams had a lot to say there about uh, about the election, about uh, President Biden, about uh, former President Trump, how this is all going to work. Call in. Let us know what you think. 212 209 Seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. He also came out and said, "Yeah, you know, people may have concerns. He might have had concerns about uh, COVID nineteen vaccine, but as public advocate, he will be getting he will be getting the vaccine as soon as it is available to him. What do you think about that? Give us a call two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven is the number to call." And of course, as we're waiting for those calls, Celeste, you know what I would like to do because uh, it is important for us to remind our listeners that we are commercial free, that we're community progressive radio and we're not corporate. And Celeste and I are volunteers like most of the hosts that you hear uh, here on WBAI. So uh, we are, car- you know, we are carried the station by you, you, our listeners. 
are the, the folks who help keep us on the air, that you sustain us. And that's why we're encouraging you, like Celeste and myself, to become a BAI buddy. What is a BAI buddy, Celeste? A BAI buddy is somebody who gives a sustaining contribution in the name of a favorite program. It could be, oh, I don't know, driving forces because you just love listening to Jeff Simmons on the radio. It could be City Watch because you just love listening to Jeff Simmons on the radio. But it could be, um, you know, it's, it's a recurring donation, very easy to set up. You can do it through a credit card. It could be $10 a month. It could be more, $15 a month. Uh, all you have to do is go to WB. WBAI.org. WBAI.org. Click ways to donate. And it is super easy. It really just takes a minute. I've done it. Jeff's done it. I got the tote bag. It is a good tote bag. I use it. Um, I am uh, able to not use plastic bags as much, something obviously that BAI listeners would care about. But becoming a BAI buddy is a very easy way to show your longstanding support for non-commercial listener-supported radio. We're not going to cut to a bunch of ads. We're not going to have a big corporation trying to force you to buy a bunch of stuff you don't need. What we want to bring you is free speech programming. But free speech programming isn't free. It takes work and it takes time to bring you around the clock radio station. So if you go to WBAI.org, just take a minute to give in as, uh, as generously as you can. And we always, always appreciate your support. And in addition to the website, you can also just call. There's a call center at 516-620-3602. And basically say you want to become a BAI buddy in, in the name of whatever program or in the name of all programs. Uh, it can be Driving Forces. It can be Max and Murphy, which is part of the 5 o'clock news block uh, that we are part of. It can be, uh, of course, if you are a big James Ursay fan on Sunday mornings, as I am, you could always do it uh, in, you know, in the name of his show as well. So uh, we're going to take calls later on in the show because we know we have another guest coming up. Uh, you have been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We're also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Jeff Simmons. I'm joined by my lovely co-host Celeste Katz-Marston, and we will take your calls uh, again in a bit. Absolutely. And that number to call again, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Did you watch the inauguration? What did you think? Have you ever attended inauguration? As I mentioned earlier, I have attended the last three, aside from this one, inaugurations. And, you know, it was a very, very unique experience. And, you know, it, it sort of makes it all the more disappointing that we couldn't have uh, we couldn't have that experience this year. You know, the, the corny uh, tagline that people use, you know, is this is why we can't have nice things. But the reason we couldn't have a nice thing this year is because a bunch of rioters stormed into our Capitol, breaking windows, threatening our public officials. Do you think that things under the Biden administration are really going to be different? Is life going to change for you, for your family? Or considering that we're still struggling to build back the economy, that we are still awaiting the, uh, uh, you know, the solution to stopping the spread of coronavirus, getting people vaccinated? You know, do you think things will change in your life? How will they change? When will they change? What are you concerned about now? What do you want out of your new president, Joe Biden, and your new vice president, Kamala Harris? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. And it's interesting, Celeste, because you had talked over this past year with a number of people in New York about how their lives had changed. You've, you just mentioned that a short while ago, and that brings me uh, to uh, your Coronavirus Diaries. This is a wonderful series that we ran on WBAI, not just on this show, but throughout the weeks and months uh, in which you basically, in their own words, let them talk about their lives. 
Yeah, that was a really, uh, really great opportunity for me. I think that was something I was trying to figure out a way to cover, uh, to cover the situation, to cover what was happening to New York, but to do it in a sort of a, a different way, a personal way that talked about real people's stories. I think we had all seen and, you know, people were living with these really sort of tragic, horrible images of overflowing hospitals and people who were suffering. And it, it was easy after a while, unfortunately, to let that all become kind of a blur and to let fear sort of take over our lives and, and take over our minds. And for um, actual real people to just become sort of statistics or pictures on television. And I really wanted to get away from that. And I thought the best way we could do that was to use the power of WBAI as a medium to talk to people directly and to take my own voice out of it, ultimately ask the questions, but to take my own voice out of it and let people tell their own stories about how the coronavirus had affected their lives. And what we found out was that obviously uh, People didn't have to actually have had coronavirus themselves to have their worlds completely turned upside down by what was happening to New York and what was happening to our country. And one of the people that you spoke with was Ling Tang. Uh, uh, can you just talk about her? Because I know uh, she'll be on shortly. Yeah, so we're going to hear, uh, first, we're going to hear the story, the conversation that I had with her. Ling Tong is a dancer, an educator, and an arts manager. She lives in Astoria in Queens. And interestingly, and, and she's actually somebody that Jeff was able to introduce me to. So thank you, Jeff, for connecting me with somebody who was able to tell us a really meaningful story. So Ling Tong is an immigrant. She happens to be originally from the city of Wuhan. And she's lived in the United States now for 18 years, maybe more. And she talked to me about how her family was doing uh, back in China, but how also she was dealing with the effects of the pandemic here in New York. So right now, let's listen to that segment. And then we will hear again from Ling Tang uh, in person to see uh, what's been going on since this conversation. Into WBAI New York, I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. This is New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. My name is Ling Tang. I live in Astoria, Queens. I am a dancer, teacher, and arts manager. I'm originally from Wuhan, um, but for the past 17 years, I've been living in the U.S. So we're still very close, connected to our family there. A four-generation household, age 4 to 94, is stranded at home. So from New York, we made frequent calls to find out how everyone's doing because the situation was getting worse. And each week, a family there would send us videos and photos of their at-home activities from singing, dancing, poetry reading, cooking. And they even celebrated my grandma's 94th birthday. It was amazing to see how they were able to stay so calm, spirited, and healthy during the entire lockdown. But it's hard to believe that weeks later from Wuhan to New York, we are now experiencing the crisis ourselves. Since New York under pause, I lost all my teachings and performances. That includes uh, several school residencies and seniors in the programs, performances as part of the Asian Heritage Month celebration Queens International Children's Festival, and so on. Many Lunar New Year events was canceled across the city in January and February due to the early panic among the Chinese-American communities. So I was kind of prepared for something worse coming. Since um, schools were closed, I taught one week of virtual lessons for the Flashing Town Hall at Home program, and gave a few other workshops online. However, with New York uh, DOE's restrictions on video conferencing, I was not always allowed to see students live on the screen, which was especially challenging for dance instructions. Um, some of the dance props I use because I teach traditional Chinese dance are culturally unique, such as long silk ribbons and fans. 
I had students use home materials such as scarves, pencils, magazines to DIY their dance props, so they could follow me along when they were、uh, in quarantine at home. As a first-generation immigrant, having gone through many difficulties pursuing a better life in America, whether it's family separation, it's learning the language, getting degrees and jobs, and Earning green card and citizenship, every step was not easy. So what I have learned from past experience is that, so when crisis is here, when there's tension against our、um, like community, I remember there are places in the world where people still struggling, still don't have democracy, don't have freedom of speech. So somehow I feel that it's fortunate to be a New Yorker and to be an Asian American here, and、uh, especially in New York, it's a tough city full of energy, and we are surrounded by diverse cultures.、Um, there are many people like us. So even during this worst time, like right now, I can see some hope. Ling Tang is a dancer and educator who lives in Queens. Stay tuned for more installments of New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary, and for the latest news and updates on COVID nineteen. And you've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI ninety nine point five FM. I'm your host Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz Marston, and we now have on the line with us Ling Tang. Welcome back to WBAI. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Celeste. It's great to be back. Thank you. So when Celeste last spoke with you, you, like many artists, were dealing with the loss of income and and changes to your daily life. What has happened since? Well, like others, I'm now used to the new norm.、Um, over the past year, having heard so many life death stories, experiencing the ups and downs in life, I've learned that staying healthy, both physically and mentally, it's more important than other temporary difficulties. Changing life also means new possibilities. That's my way to see it. So I consider this my sabbatical year. So I'm keeping myself busy with research, honing on new skills, revisiting old dance repertoires, and I recently self-taught to play a Chinese instrument, guzheng. So it's a great way of、uh, my daily meditation and to help me to stay calm and happy. And I think at the time that we spoke, you were,、uh, you know, talking a lot about your family、uh, back in Wuhan and、um, speaking about, you know, what they were doing to to cope with、uh, with le- the lockdown and the pandemic. How are they doing? What do you hear from them? Yes. So you know, it's almost a year since Wuhan went into lockdown on January twenty third, twenty twenty. So people's lives now have gradually recovered to normal. I've seen photos in media showing streets of Wuhan packed with people celebrating the New Year's Eve, versus here at empty Times Square in New York. So it's a strange feeling for me,、um, but I hope Wuhan people haven't forgotten what they had first experienced of the COVID. So my mom returned to Wuhan from New York in early November. It's nerve-wracking to get all the tests and、uh, reports within 48 hours of her travel required by the Chinese government, followed by more testing and nearly one month of mandatory quarantine after landing. One time in a hotel, one time at home in Wuhan. So by the time she finally reunited with my grandma and family there. It was already December, so because、mm-hmm. now most new cases in China are from outside, so there's extremely strict travel restrictions. So I don't even know when I will be able to visit again. What's so interesting is I've talked with a number of artists over the last year,、uh, performing artists, and they, they their whole lives have been turned upside down. I know that you're a teaching artist at Flushing Town Hall, and they've had to remain closed until the city allows them to reopen. How have you? What have you been doing as far as any type of virtual presentations? I'm, I'm just curious if that has been your path. You know, art is a creative,、um, and even more so when they are physically apart. 
um, and they have great problem-solving skills. So during the pandemic, I appreciate arts organizations like Flushing Town Hall, who quickly moving programs online to keep the community alive. So for me, um, I'm reimagining teaching and performing to modify choreographies for limited space at home or doing social distancing dance outdoor and self-produced solo performance and teaching videos for different programs. Um, so for Flashing Town Hall, so they launched Global Arts for Global Kids program last April, soon after New York underpause. So kids can access free high-quality arts programs at home. For popular demand, the second series were produced and released last fall, and we're currently replaying the first series in five different languages. So one one thing that Jeff and I were were talking about a little bit earlier before the program, uh, we were thinking about the inauguration, and you yourself have performed at an inauguration. And I think uh, Jeff mentioned that you had gotten a very nice letter from the man who is now our president. So we're just curious, you know, did you have a chance to see any of this year's inauguration? There, there was some, uh, you know, some format of uh, entertainment, uh, but. But, you know, what, what were your thoughts uh, as somebody who has actually performed, an artist who has performed at an inauguration of the way we had to do it this year? Mm-hmm. So yesterday's inauguration was stunning and inspiring on so many levels. Um, I could see colors. I could see joy. I could feel that arts and culture are alive again. So uh, for me personally, eight years ago, myself and a group of young dancers from Delaware were chosen to perform at Obama Biden's second inauguration in Washington, D.C., representing Biden's home state. And it's a Chinese dance group. So it was truly amazing and a once in a lifetime experience. So we got a letter from Biden saying how proud he was to watching us as he's next to President Obama. So the group actually was invited back for the virtual parade yesterday. It's just amazing to see uh, some familiar faces on TV again. I look back, Ling, I look back to a year ago uh, when a number of institutions were were getting ready for uh, a series of events to celebrate the Lunar New Year. But then, you know, particularly in Flushing, well, we watched how uh, parades were canceled and events were canceled and not immediately people shifted to virtual because they weren't ready to do that right away. But we're now coming upon the Lunar New Year. Uh, in February and a year later, we're still, we're still seeing a surge of new cases. So how do you expect your friends, uh, and your family? How do you celebrate this year? So surprisingly, I've got many virtual events lined up for Lunar New Year, including dance performances and paper cutting workshops. It's just great to know that people are still actively engaged, um, no matter what platforms uh, we have online. So actually, this Saturday, I will be recording a Lunar New Year program with my Chinese musician friends. We haven't seen each other in person. We haven't been to a theater for nearly a year. So even it means that we will have to go into a theater with face covering and staying six feet apart on stage and no live audience. We are super excited to be in the same physical space again. You know, it's like it's so different from meeting on Zoom. It's like technology is great, helping people connect it, but it cannot replace the live arts experience. So I do miss the sparse and spontaneous interactions when dancing to live music and to live audience. So I truly hope that the year of the ox uh, will bring us some good luck. I definitely hope so. And by the way, this is my year, year of the ox. So, you know, um, I'm personally am excited. I will have to wish you a, a happy early uh, Lunar New Year. So, gong shi fa zai. But, um, you know, maybe, uh, Ling Tang, my last question for you is, um, you know, we spoke in our interview about, uh, you know, how this was in some ways very difficult for, uh, you know, Asian and Asian American communities. And unfortunately, we did see certain 
parts of the population, you know, treating people of Asian descent with, you know, differently, suspiciously in some cases. In the worst cases, uh, even we saw um, increase in, in discrimination, hate crimes. I mean, how have you uh, observed things change uh, since the, the months, uh, months ago when we spoke, which was sort of at the, you know, the beginning of the real surge of the pandemic? Has, has, have things gotten any better? Well, you know, um, yes, because, you know, they're on top of the pandemic. There are definitely other issues arising, but some of the issues are not new. So as an Asian, as an immigrant, um, so you know that. Um, so sometimes America is a very divided. Um, it's like different problems. But this is something we have to um, – it's – be part of us, but we have to look forward. I'm pretty much confident for the future, and especially right now, and I do hope that we have a better and a stronger united America and full of arts and culture so we could really appreciate each other. We could appreciate the differences. We could appreciate different um, cultural backgrounds. So, yes, that's my way to see it. Ling Tang, I want to thank you for joining us here on WBAI today. If people want to know, if our listeners want to know more about you and your work, where should they go? Um, I can leave my website. So it's www.ling-tang.com. And I think people should be able to find all my social media links there and programs where I offer, um, the organizations where I offer my programs. Ling Tang, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you back on WBAI. It's great talking to you both. Thanks for having me again. And happy new, uh, happy new Lunar New Year. I can't say it like Lunar Celeste. New Year. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, thank you so much. So, so we've only got five minutes left, Celeste, and I know we wanted to open up the phone line. So uh, should we just tell them we're going to cancel the news after the show and just continue on? Yeah, totally. We totally should. We do have a few minutes, just a few minutes, if people do want to call in. Again, that number, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. So, Celeste, one thing you did email me before the show that you wanted to mention, and it is important, is this first full day in office. I mean, even starting yesterday to today, and Jumani touched on this a bit, there have been a number of executive orders that have been uh executed in the last, what, 24 or so hours. Yeah, you know, there's really been uh, a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on. And I think we have a caller who may want actually to to speak about some of this. But yeah, uh, 10 orders at least signed so far uh, about using masks, about laying the groundwork for uh, business and school reopenings. Uh, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot of changes that are going to happen very quickly. So let's see what our caller has to say. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, uh, my name is Elias, and I'm uh, actually uh, living in Connecticut. Hi, I, Elias. I lived, in New- I lived in New York City for over 10 years. What's on and, your mind tonight? Um, well, um, I think uh, I'm, I feel very optimistic about the future for this country uh, with the new leadership. Obviously, it's been uh, very challenging in the last four years uh the least, but uh, um, that is, uh, you know, that is, uh, I think we have to look forward to the future um, and really uh, hope and pray for uh, growth and for improvements in many areas, especially in in the area of uh, race and uh, equality and justice and liberty in this country uh, that has been uh, heavily uh, beaten down uh, by uh, groups uh, that uh, that have been uh, really rising up and diminishing uh, really the, uh, the foundation, the basis, uh, the, found, the foundation, founda- the foundation, the principles of this nation. And um, you know, I I have been hmm. really at the at the really have seen it how hmm. how terrible uh, people can be, you know, 
and uh, I've seen it and have been part of it and have experienced it, and I really hope that things will improve moving forward. I hope so, too. And thank you so much for your call. I wish we had time for more calls. We had a very packed show today, uh, but we will definitely be taking more of your calls next time. And yeah. Elias just had some really nice sentiments. There was a line that Joe Biden had used that uh, that stuck with me that, uh, you know, we have to end this uncivil war that pits red against blue. But then he had said, we can do this if we open our souls instead of harden, hardening our hearts. So we kind of look forward to this year to seeing what type of uh, dialogue we have here on WBAI. I do want to point out that st- uh, this Sunday at 10 a.m., Tune in to City Watch when David Brand will be hosting his guests in a reporter's roundtable. Will be Katie Honan of the Wall Street Journal and Claudia Irizarry Aponte from the news outlet The City. And we want to thank today's guests. Of course, we had New York City public advocate Jumani Williams and Flushing Town Hall teaching artist Ling Tong. Thank you always, of course, to our engineer, Reggie Johnson, who makes this show happen every week. Thanks to you, my co-host, Jeff Simmons. And tune in to, uh, tune in to Driving Forces next Thursday. You can always find us on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. See you soon for now. Take care. David Mansfield. I make my living as a musician, and when the quarantine began, the thing I missed most was playing music with others live. So we rounded up some help, and I invited a few friends one at a time to my socially distant living room recording session, and we've been calling it the Fallout Shelter. This Thursday night, we'll be bringing four of those to WBAI's Folk Radio. We're going to feature Warren Zanes, Laura Cantrell, Marshall Crenshaw. In our old shoes we walked last night, sparkling concrete under the lights. And Diana Jones. On your head, you ran for your life. You ran for your life. I hope you'll join me here with Steve Rath Thursday night at 10. Music from the Fallout Shelter on WBAI's Folk Radio. We live in complicated times. Sometimes it seems like important voices get left out, and sometimes it's hard to know who to trust. But one thing's for sure. For more than 60 years, WBAI has been your go-to for independent, non-commercial, free speech programming. Join a WBAI family as a BAI buddy in the name of your favorite show today and support radio you can trust. It's easy. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. When you become a WBAI buddy, you show your support for great programs on politics, news, the arts, music, and culture. You show your support for real free speech radio. Go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 now. Don't wait. You know these times are too important. Please give as generously as you can. It's simple to make a recurring monthly donation, and it only takes a minute. Just go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. Unlike living in New York, it is that easy. WBAI has spoken up for New Yorkers for more than 60 years. Now, it's time to speak up for WBAI. Go to WBAI.org to support radio you can trust. Give to WBAI today. Be heard.
WBAI is working with David Rothenberg and the Fortune Society to collect coats and blankets for the hundreds of people coming out of prison this winter. Becky Dunham wanted BAI listeners to know how important it was for her to just be given some clothes when she got out of jail on Rikers Island. My life has taken a U-turn from when I first went to Rikers Island. It took caring people who said, welcome home. Let's get you in some decent clothes so you can begin your life. So I want you to know that when you donate some clothes, a jacket, a blanket for a man, woman, or teenager, you're sending a message of hope wrapped up in a warm coat. Reach out to one person. You might change their world, and in return, they will help change yours. Thank you, Becky. It's a real mitzvah that the WBAI community is pulling together and partnering with the Fortune Society in this effort. If you have a coat, blanket, shoes, or other clothing you can spare, or for that matter, if you're in need of any of them, please head to one of the drop-off points in either Long Island City or in northern Manhattan. The address in Long Island City is 29-76 Northern Boulevard, near Queens Plaza, and in Manhattan at 625 West 140th Street, home of the Fortune Academy in Castle. Let's do this. 